This is KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the Regents of University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, today we're going to be talking with the author of a satirical book on Bush's America, um, Christian Zionism in um, Bush's America. And uh, so um, we're going to be talking with Irving Wesley Hall. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Dan. Yeah, you're loud and clear. Um, why did you write this book? Uh, and um, it's called uh, The Einstein Sisters. Um, why, why did you write, uh, write satire? Yes, The Einstein Sisters Bag the Flying Monkeys is the full title. And I wrote it shortly after the uh, the 2004 presidential election. Incidentally, I come directly from the tradition of the uh, of the Gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, as presented so clearly in your your previous segment on Martin Luther King's speech on Vietnam. And uh, it, I'm sure, many of your readers, like myself felt that if he had been speaking today, all he would have had to do was to substitute Iraq for Vietnam and uh, Muslim or national uh, resistors for communists, and it would be uh, completely applicable. And my concern in 2004 after the election was to understand how, after four years of George Bush, uh, close to a majority of Americans could have voted to re-elect him. And it became clear that the Christian fundamentalist vote was decisive. And I set about uh, to do intensive research in order to understand how that theology translated itself into tens of millions of voters pulling the ballot for a Republican who represented uh, anything but their own interests as uh, as working people do you, uh, do you think people are vo- voting as who are fundamentalist christians is it a blind faith because i was in hong kong actually uh a year a few years ago and people were telling me these were church going uh fundamentalists and they were saying that america is a great country because people go to church there and george bush is a great president because he goes to church well, that was certainly the, uh, the uh, opinion of many evangelicals before the 2000 election. Um, Bush, of course, catered to that. There's a long tradition inside the Republican Party of uh, Christian fundamentalists uh, appealing to uh, Christian voters on the basis of uh, George Bush's catering to their particular uh, religious beliefs, although there certainly should have been a question by 2004 if he was in fact following in the footsteps of Jesus and Nazareth. So there's a part blind faith, there's a part uh, of, of, of a, a, a reasoning of evangelicals, but I think it's based upon certain uh, misconceptions about the Bible and a methodology an approach to the Bible that is fundamentally flawed. The majority of Christian evangelicals are not Christian Zionists. Uh, so we're also talking about not only not all Protestants, not all Christian fundamentalists, 
not all uh, 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 Christians by any means, but specifically a segment of uh, fundamentalist American fundamentalist Christianity called Christian Zionism. Could you define that? Um, it's uh-huh. it's characterized by a number of uh, beliefs, and frequently people will hold these beliefs in in bits and pieces and not see the totality of the theology. The bits and pieces are first of all a uh, a belief in uh, tribulation and Armageddon, a belief that the end times are near, and a belief that the uh, those elect who are born again and who are right with Jesus will be raptured when Jesus comes, not a second time, but uh, a second time, but not the second coming in the rapture, and they will be lifted to heaven before the uh, the world is destroyed in in a in a bloodbath. And finally, Christian Zionists, and hence the name Christian Zionists, uh, are absolutely unconditional supporters of the right-wing Israeli policies of ethnic cleansing against the Palestinian people in order to reclaim all of Israel and to ingather as a key event necessary for the triggering of the end times, including Armageddon and Tribulation. What percentage of, uh, of the supporters of Bush are... Uh, Zionist then? Well, the statistics are hard to come by, partly because many people who accept the bits and pieces that I've just mentioned, rapture, tribulation, Armageddon, unconditional support for Israel, many of those people may not have even heard of the word Christian Zionism, and they may never have heard of the underlying philosophy, which is called dispensationalism, which we may or may not get into. And so it's hard to tally, but there are certainly uh, polls based upon individual questions about the rapture um, that indicate we're talking about tens of millions of Americans. Uh, Close to 40% of uh, Christians maintain that when the Bible says the earth will be destroyed by fire, that means the inevitability of nuclear war. And this is in the tens of millions of people. Uh, Christian fundamentalists may be as many as 25% of the Republican voters, maybe more, again, depending upon the definition. Uh, then how do you um, explain the uh, support, for the limited support for, for the people like, a person like Huckabee um, in the current campaign for the White House? Uh, well, Huckabee is uh, someone who has proposed that the United States Constitution be modified to make it consistent with uh, the Holy Bible. And uh, this is appealing to many Christian fundamentalists, Christian Zionists, there's another group called Dominionists, who believe sincerely, either in connection with the end times or independent of that, that the United States must become a theocracy in which the uh, rule of the Old Testament and to a lesser extent the New Testament, becomes the law of the land, and that Christians and only Christians will uh, have the power to determine the fate of all of us. But he doesn't seem to be getting widespread support, right? He won the uh, primary in Iowa. 
And um, that was a pretty remarkable event. But McCain is uh, leading, no? McCain is leading, and McCain has also done a 180-degree turn on many issues in order to cater to the Christian fundamentalists. He was extremely critical of uh, Pat Robertson and Jerry Faldwell in the 2000 election. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was, he was uh, uh, snookered by George Bush in South Carolina uh, in, 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 a, in a tactic designed by Karl Rove to alienate the Christian fundamentalists. And now he's come out against abortion. He's made the absurd claim that the United States is a Christian nation and was formed primarily by uh, Christians, by which he means Christian fundamentalists. And um, he's also um, pursuing a policy in the Middle East that would appeal to uh, Christian evangelists who believe that this is a war between Satan and the United States and, and God, which represents God. And that whether it's Iraq or Iran, we're basically fighting the early stages of the of the war of Armageddon, which will eventually lead to nuclear war. So you don't see any difference between the two? Oh, yes, there's an enormous dis- difference between the two, because Huckabee probably believes what he says, and McCain is, is simply uh, uh, catering to the, the primary vote. So, um, but why write, um, why did you write satire then? Why, why not just write a, 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 a nonfiction I, I, book? I mean. First of all, I have a sense of humor, <laughs> and um, I love satire. I wrote my first satire when I was a freshman at Stanford University, and uh, I'm a great admirer of Jonathan Swift and Mark Twain, who were able to popularly convey their moral outrage through humor and thus to make it more appealing to a larger number of people and the einstein sisters is an absolute hoot it's a page turner it's uh it's uh, a, a book that just carries you from one event to another because it, the einstein sisters of course were the great great granddaughters of the fictional great great granddaughters of albert einstein secular brilliant spunky a little arrogant and they find themselves a few weeks before the Florida election in 2000, uh, abandoned by their parents who run off to join the, uh, the, the neocons in a think tank. And these, these, young, these young girls, 16, 14, and 7, are virtual orphans and by uh, uh, happen chance wind up in a crazy Christian fundamentalist, Christian Zionist school in in rural florida and uh over a period of two and a half days it's a long novel but it moves fast it takes place over 60 hours uh they suddenly realize where they are they confront the ideology the theology the the principal is a is a is a a retired wrestler and a, a a control freak and they lead a rebellion of the christian students against him in leading to a uh, a climax that I'm not going to tell your listeners, and I felt this was the most effective way to reach a large number of people, especially young people, in order to uh, make it possible for them to understand. We're not talking about an abstract Christian right. We're talking about real people, usually good-hearted people, 
who are uh, buying into a theology that they don't totally understand. And by the time you finish this novel and you're finished laughing, you understand that theology in a way that empowers you to deal with the folks around us um, who are unwittingly voting against their own interests according to a, a, a biblical doctrine that is extremely anti-Christian and is extremely anti-Semitic. But why so long? It's eight, over 800 pages in it, the PDF. It, the story told itself. <laughs> the Einstein sisters took over and they said, Irving, you're going to tell this story the way we want you to. And it just, it just went. And um, it's full of action, it's full of surprises, and it just, uh, it just wouldn't end until it had reached the, the logical conclusion, which is Mariah Godley, the, uh, the crazy principal, uh, succeeds in pulling to a memorial ceremony the great luminaries of the time, George Bush, Dick Cheney, Karl Rove, they all show up for the memorial ceremony along with Hal, Hal, uh, Hal Rove, uh, Carl Rove, uh, Hal Lindsey, uh, Paul Wolfowitz. I mean, by, by happen chance, nine, nine of these people show up for the memorial ceremony. And uh, what happens to them itself takes several chapters and is extremely lively, and people won't be able to put down the book regardless of its length. Do you think they're going to read it online? It's so big. Um, it can be, yeah, it's it's an e-book, so people would go online, it's, inexpensive, equal to the price of three gallons of gas, and uh, they can uh, uh, download it as a, an Adobe file and look at it on their computer. It looks exactly like a regular novel, and they can read it on their computer in, uh, in, in, at their leisure. You think people are really going to read a book on a computer? <laughs> um, it's increasingly popular. Uh, we've sold quite a few copies. It's only been out for a little over six weeks. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, people do. I mean, I I I I assume in time it will be uh, available in print. But because it is a book that is controversial, it is not something that agents exactly jump at. So uh, in time it will be in print form. But right now it's available uh, in in uh, as an ebook. So that so that's your strategy to eventually publish it as a print. Uh, eventually, when we can raise the funds, we will print it ourselves because so far um, it has not it is not uh, it has not found an agent or a publisher. I mean, this is a book that deals very frankly with the with the uh, with the conflict between the Israelis and Palestinians from a from the standpoint of of, of, of Christianity. And um, this is a this is a hot topic. I mean, let's face it: people are going to go to the polls tomorrow to vote uh, at a at a critical time in our history. Seventy percent of the American people are opposed to the war in Iraq. It's costing ten million dollars just in the period of time that you and I are going to be talking on the air. The money, the, it's eventually going to cost trillions of dollars borrowed from dictatorships. The economy is collapsing under a mountain of debt. People are working for two gallons of gasoline an hour. Millions of people are losing their homes uh, from foreclosures. 
the, the infrastructure is decaying, and millions of Christian voters are going to go to the polls and vote on the basis of abortion or op- opposition to gay rights. It's bizarre. And not one of the candidates, Democrat or Republican, is willing to criticize the policies of Israel uh, in uh, a disastrous attack on the Palestinian people in Gaza. It's a prison. It's the, the, the people of Gaza are suffering comparable to what's happening to the Iraqis. And throughout the world, these policies, whether it's United States and Iraq or whether it is uh, Israel and Gaza, these are universally condemned throughout the world. They're inflaming the Middle East. The oppression of the Palestinians was what motivated Osama bin Laden on 9-11. And yet not one candidate is willing to stand up and oppose these policies that are universally condemned and that are making, in poll after poll, ironically, Osama bin Laden comes out ahead in the Muslim countries when he's paired up in popularity with Bush. So the the Einstein sisters, in the tradition of Albert Einstein, their great-great-grandfather, come out unequivocally for a single-state solution in Israel. That is a, a state, a democratic state for both Israelis and, or Jewish, Jewish Israelis, Palestinian Israelis, and Palestinians under occupation. And this is not a popular position with the, with the Israel lobby, which of course is extremely powerful in determining the politics of both the Democratic candidates and the Republican candidates for president. So I'm not surprised that the novel wasn't immediately grabbed up by uh, by publishers or agents, but uh, in many ways that was a tribute to the to, to what I consider to be the virtues of the novel, which is controversial, but I think very clear, very exciting, and very funny. Yeah, I'm looking over the table of contents, and you have really uh, interesting headings uh, head headings for these chapters. One is called the Burning Bush. Uh, the Burning Bush. What was that about? Uh, you could explain maybe to the readers. Um, the uh, it takes place in underneath some a mango tree <laughs> in Shepherd's Vale School, and uh, the nerd, the nerds, the three nerds in the in the school who are wonderful characters, all high school seniors, Joshua, uh, Jonah, and Jeremiah. Uh, are are hiding out from the principal, and Jeremiah has a vision, and his visions in the year 2000 completely describe, as Jeremiah in the Bible did, uh, what's going to happen. And um, it is so horrendous, 9-11, a war in Iraq, uh, a collapse of the economy, uh, no action by the government against global warming. I mean, the eight years that he prophesies are absolutely frightening and unbelievable to his two classmates. So they say, Jeremiah, you're crazy, which, of course, is what people said about Jeremiah in the Bible. And he says, I'll give you a sign, a burning bush. And what happens is that George Bush, dressed like the Wicked Witch of the uh, of the East in The Wizard of Oz, which, of course, is obviously the theme of the novel, one of the themes of the novel, yeah. appears and bursts into flames and melts and comes up with the words of the Wicked Witch, I'm burning, I'm burning, I can't believe you're burning my beautiful wickedness, and there's nothing left but uh, his hat and uh, uh, his cowboy hat. And uh, they <laughs> say, a burning bush, it's a sign, Jeremiah must be speaking the truth. How about stoning uh, Clinton and Monica? 
Well, that's a wonderful discussion about the, uh, which is is relevant to uh, um, um, the whole question of whether or not um, biblical values are relevant to our society today. And Maxine, the oldest daughter, who's uh, 16 years old, the oldest sister, uh, and her Aunt Caddy, who owns the school, it turns out, surprisingly, and three cheerleaders named Candy, uh, Honey, and Taffy uh, suddenly find themselves alone. There are no surveillance cameras, which is unusual at the school. There are no boys present, so they're not intimidated. Uh, the teacher's not there. Mariah Godley, the principal, is not there. And they just let down their hair, and they take a, a look at uh, the implications of Leviticus with all of its prohibitions, and they realize how incredibly sexist it is because the entire thrust of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and all of the passages that people quote uh, in, their, in, in, in their attempt to make the Bible a basis for homophobia were all representations of a Bronze Age tribe which is, was a very arrogant tribe, a very ignorant tribe, a, a bloodthirsty tribe, a tribe that, that, whose God, Yahweh, uh, instructed them to engage in slavery, concubinage, and, and genocide, and in which women were essentially regarded as chattel. And um, they complain, as they kind of look around suspiciously to see if anybody's listening, that in Leviticus, women are essentially regarded as a compost pile for the holy male seed that was respected as the way of preserving the tribe and preserving the family lineage that is so important in the Bible. And um, at some point, they, they, uh, they, they joke about the way in which they are regarded uh, as compost piles for the holy male seed, and they then get into... The, um, the absurdity of uh, the Republican impeachment of uh, uh, Bill Clinton and uh, come up with the conclusion that uh, if indeed the United States were a theocracy, as Mariah Godley and the religious right likes it to be, uh, both uh, uh, Clinton and Lewinsky would have been stoned to death instead of the fate that they got. Sure. The uh, how about some? Uh, you have a chapter called "Queer uh, Soulmate." Soulmate is a fascinating chapter because one of the most touching characters in the novel is an aging, uh, closeted homosexual teacher who um, is trying to curry favor with the principal by denying his own sexuality in order to enrich in himself by becoming the poster boy of a national movement under a George Bush presidency and eventually a theocracy, a, 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 a movement called uh, Abomination Anonymous. <laughs> and um, He's a high school teacher. He's a high school teacher, a values teacher. He was given the, the ultimate challenge. And uh, Maxine, of course, who's extremely liberal, and when she when she was going to school in Brooklyn the previous year, she was uh, drawn to the gay and, and, and lesbian and straight alliance because they were the most interesting kids in campus on the, on the, in, in the school. 
and because they used to spend the weekends in, in the East Village hanging out and having fun. And uh, so she immediately takes on the responsibility, one, to uh, combat a streak of anti-Semitism that is overtaking the football players, who are named uh, Hunk, Meat, and Moose. And, um, and she uh, realizes that he is, he is gay intuitively and attempts to uh, help him overcome his self-loathing. And as it turns out, in a subsequent novel, Jesus of Nazareth himself returns to uh, Earth in the period just before the theft of the 2000 election because he is so concerned about the Jerry Falwells and the Pat Robertson and the Moriah Godleys who are going to destroy the world um, if they have their way. And he encourages... Um, Paul Cassandra, the closeted teacher, to come out of the closet and to acknowledge his own being as a creature of God. And before the novel is over, two of the football players actually come out of the closet. Um, (laughs) Meat and Moose turn out to be lovers, secret lovers, uh, although devout Christians. So um, that that is the 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 beginning the, the the gay soulmate is the beginning of that theme in the novel so they reject the fundamentalism pardon do they reject they do reject the fundamentalism well they they reject the fundamentalist approach to the bible which is that the bible is one inerrant um which is a questionable uh, assumption for anybody who's read the bible seriously because it's 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 full of contradictions is the wrong word. It's it's full of its own evolution and changes. The most pronounced being uh, an eye for an eye in the Old Testament becomes turn the other cheek in the New Testament. So what they basically do is they they reject the notion of inerrancy, but more important, they reject a another uh, fundamentalist, at least a Christian Zionist. Um, approach that grows out of that, which is all passages in the Bible are of equal importance. So by, now this this yeah. is an absurdity, by but it, it's a, a necessary premise because Christian Zionism has created this end-time scenario by cutting and pasting passages from a variety of books out of the context of the novel, I mean out of the context of the Bible and, 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 and the books from which they were lifted, and put into this incredible story about the Jews have to return to Israel in order to worship the Antichrist, uh, triggering the rapture, and um, triggering Armageddon, and uh, a huge battle between the forces of Satan and the forces of Christ in the valley of, of, of Megiddo that will lead to the destruction of the earth. And the way this story is composed from, from uh, Daniel, from, from Revelations, from Matthew, I mean, it's just, as my, one of my favorite characters in the novel, Angela Jordan, who's a black bus driver and a, and, a, and a sweet Baptist, she says, my God, if my husband used this method of picking and choosing and, and creating a crazy quilt out of these bits and pieces from the Bible, it'd be like he took a, a cookbook and picked uh, a, a, an ingredient from this recipe and an ingredient from that recipe and put them all together. She said he could kill me that way. And mm-hmm. indeed, the, the whole end-time scenario is created in that way. And the students begin to question this method of approaching the Bible. 
And a third element they also question, and that is that Im- implicit in the end time scenario is that every prophecy in the Bi- every prediction in the Bible uh, or prophecy in the Bible is a prediction that must come true. Now uh-huh. this was a, this is a notion that is is alien to most of, of, of Christian history, and um, it's it allows. Christian fundamentalists to think that what's happening in the world today is a fulfillment of the predictions in the Bible. Now, most biblical scholars would say that the predictions in the Bible were just that. They were predictions. They were limited to their own time. Some came true, some didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they were certainly not predictions that were going to go into cold storage for 2,000 years. And then all of a sudden, when Pat Robertson and Hal Lindsey and, and Jerry Falwell come along uh, and are looking for a way to build uh, a fear in their flocks, all of a sudden they begin to fall into place and come true in, in, in our times. And this is, this is an absurdity. And it's the, the, that's the part of religious fundamentalism that the Shepherd's Veil Christian students, with the help of the Einstein sisters, begin to debunk and begin to challenge. When you and, met, yeah, when you mention in, inerrancy, is it like the infallibility of the Pope? Um, well, that is a that that is um, that that Catholicism grew out of that notion of of the Bible. Um, it's comparable to the Protestant notion of inerrancy, but um, the Protestant notion really developed. I mean, the Pope is infallible, but the Scripture was pretty much, in Catholic history, not something that was available to the ordinary person. In fact, Protestantism in many ways developed after the Gutenberg Bible made the Bible accessible to ordinary people, and they began to examine it and challenge it. Because it was in Latin? Because it is... It it was written in Latin, or what? It, yeah, yeah, exactly. When it was translated into the Vulgate or the popular language, French, uh, uh, Dutch, English, etc., and made accessible to most people, it was at that point that um, people began to think for themselves, and preachers began to rely upon the Bible and challenge the the approach of the Catholic Church. However, Christian fundamentalism notion of inerrancy really only began around eighteen twenty, eighteen thirty. Um, and it was not something that was part of, 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 of Protestantism, which tended to um, look at the uh, Bible in, in terms of being part of it was allegorical, part of it was accurate, part of it was et cetera, et cetera. But it was not something that was regarded in a way that most Christian fundamentalists think of it, that uh, God was dictating events from Genesis onward uh, in English to be written down, and presented to people today. Um, it didn't happen. As biblical scholarship tells us it didn't happen that way at all. But why, why in the 1820s? Why did that? Become? Well, it began with That's a man right. named John Nelson Darby, who was an Irish itinerant preacher. And like by most Christian Zionists, he, he, was, he hated people. He was a misanthrope. He was sure that he was right, and everybody else, especially all of the Christians in the world, was wrong. And um, he fell off a horse and had a vision, and the vision became translated into this particular approach to 
uh, the Bible, which began with the notion of inerrancy. And then he developed in the sense of you can pick any verse you want, you put it all together, you put it into a crazy quilt, and you've got a, a, a story that ties it all together. And that's the essence of dispensationalism. And really, in the United States, the notion that the Bible was inerrant really never took off until the 1920s and the Scopes trial, uh, the so-called monkey trial in Tennessee, which was a, was, was a, a test of evolution as, as, uh, as a teaching subject in, in school. And um, it, it was dispensationalism, again, based upon the notion of biblical inerrancy, really was sort of dormant until um, Hal Lindsey came along at the end of the 60s and wrote a book called the Great, uh, Late Great Planet Earth, in which he took what this really fringe theology and popularized it. And that was, of course, augmented by the Reagan Revolution. It was augmented by the, by the, uh, the interaction between Zionism and Christian fundamentalism and uh, the growth of, the, uh, of, of, of radio and TV as a mass channel for people like Robertson and Falwell and all of the others winding up in the Trinity Broadcasting Network today on satellite. And, um, and it, it took off, but it is a, a very recent phenomenon, and it is a, 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 a fundamental break from both traditional uh, Catholicism and traditional Protestantism. You mentioned uh, the Scopes Monkey Trial. Uh, of course, uh, Robert E. Lee and uh, Jerome Lawrence wrote this uh, play, Inherit the Wind, which was uh, their way of parodying this, uh, this uh, concept and, uh, of, um, of evolution and um, God and you know, other stuff that uh, featured in the trial. Do you, think, do you think that play had an effect on turning people against it? Or? Um, it? It was a wonderful play and a wonderful movie. And, of course, Gene Kelly in the movie plays um, Henry Mencken, who was one of the most wonderful satirists of the 20s and 30s, and who was chosen by, I believe, the Chicago Tribune. I could be wrong on that. Uh, he was chosen to go down and cover the trial. And in many ways, the movie is sort of channeled through his satirical uh, approach to um, uh, William Jennings Bryant uh, uh, and his particular notion of, of, of biblical biblical fundamentalism. So I, I doubt if it's a movie that's popular among Christian fundamentalists, but I would strongly recommend it to people because um, uh, uh, the, the, the notion of biblical inerrancy is really exposed uh, on its own merits in the book. I, I believe the the play is still assigned to high school students. I would think, because in the I know in the '60s that was uh, definitely the case, um, was assigned to high school students, and uh, I'm not sure about today. Yeah, I'm not sure about today either. Uh, we're living in a period in which uh, uh, school boards are easily intimidated by minorities, and in many cases, the minorities are Christian fundamentalists. How about the growth of? Um, you know, wh- how do you explain the growth in the third world, in the non-Western uh, world, of um, of this uh, this fundamentalism? Well, it it appeals to, and has always appealed to, the people who are getting the fuzzy end of the stick in society. People who feel hopeless, 
people who have economically so little to look forward to and uh, are in such dire economic straits that it is very appealing to think that as unequal and as oppressed as they are, there will be a day in which they will be able to, either through the rapture or the second coming, which are very different, they will be able to go to heaven and they will be free from the horrors that seem endless and uh, without remedy in this world. And uh, we live in a world in which uh, 30,000 children die each day from preventable diseases. Um, one of the, uh, in fact, it's Jesus of Nazareth himself in the novel, in the Einstein sisters' bag, The Flying Monkeys. It's Jesus who say, can you imagine what it's like to listen to the prayers of 30,000 parents every day? as they watch their children die from preventable diseases, starvation, thirst, etc. And the only answer you've got is the, uh, the World Bank or NAFTA <laughs> or, or the, 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 the imperialist control of the American uh, corporations over their lives. And at the same time, you look down on the United States and so many uh, well-heeled Americans who are benefiting from the, uh, the low wages in China or the uh, low cost of resources in Africa uh, in the conditions that lead to these 30,000 children die are out marching in the streets for the, the right to life and, uh, and, and uh, opposing abortion. Those people who are indirectly benefiting from the poverty in the third world and from the hopelessness in the third world, that, of course, leads people to look for religious answers rather than political or economic answers to their conditions. There was a concept um, when missionaries started uh, preaching in Asia, for instance, of uh, rice Christians, that uh, rice bowl Christians, that people would show up for sermons and go to Bible study because they were hungry, and the missionaries did feed them, um, but they didn't really believe. Do you think that... That's always been a phenomenon, yeah. Dan, yeah. and I'm sure it is today. But there are some that are true believers, obviously, uh, yeah, who well, have become true judge? believers. You yeah. know, how do you judge? You can't get into a person's soul. You can't get into his or her mind to, uh, to determine how sincere it is, and... Yeah. We're all capable of rationalization, and uh, if I were desperately hungry, if my children were suffering and a mission offered me um, a, uh, a dinner on Skid Row in Los Angeles or uh, in a mission in, uh, in, in Botswana, um, who am I to say what I would do? Do, do you see the danger of um, this um, affecting politics, in, not just in the U.S., but in other countries, uh, this kind of fundamentalist uh, theolo theological kind of uh, attitude. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, I'm not sure it takes various forms because you not only have uh, Christian fundamentalism, but you, in countries very poor and uh, 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 politically oppressed countries like Nigeria, you have fundamentalist Islam uh, competing with fundamentalist Christianity. And it leads not only to uh, people's 
um, political apathy, in the case of probably Christianity, but uh, uh, enormous intolerance on both, both behalf of Christianity and, and fundamentalist Islam. Uh, because uh, I've heard that um, a lot of even uh, NGOs are now fundamentalist-oriented, uh, non-governmental organizations. Uh, I've had on uh, aired a talk on my on the show uh, by uh, Josephine Ho, I, uh, who's the uh, uh, sex um, gender sex and gender professor, um, t- has a has a uh, sexuality center in Taiwan, and she has spoken out against the role of uh, non-governmental organizations that are fundamentalists in dictating policy on uh, sex workers, for instance, in Taiwan, and uh, influencing the state that way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that, um, that religious groups in the industrialized countries can take a small slice of the wealth that is essentially exploited off of the uh, third world and uh, use it in order to uh, um, uh, brainwash and manipulate uh, very, very vulnerable people in the third world. And that can have uh, bad political effects, and it, it certainly can have bad social effects. You're listening to uh, KUCI here on 88.9 FM in Irvine or on the web at KUCI.org. The show is Subversity with Dan Zhang, and we're talking with the author of a satirical book, uh, the Einstein sisters bag the flying monkeys, and it's the subtitle is uh, a political satire uh, about Christian Zionism in Bush's America, and it's an ebook. Um, so we're talking with the author, and how do you? Uh, how did you get into this field? Uh, were you um, were you yourself a fundamentalist at some point? Yes, I was. Um, in my senior year in high school, um, I was a white bread congregationalist, and uh, religion was extremely abstract. Uh, it seemed um, unrelated to real life. And uh, through a fundamentalist friend, I stumbled across a storefront um, a church group in my community, and I was captured by the, uh, the electricity in the air. And um, it was a remarkable experience that helped me understand why people are drawn to uh, uh, evangelicalism. It helps me understand what happened to St. Paul on the, uh, the road to Damascus, and I was pulled into it, and I became born again. And um, I immersed myself in the Bible, and I began to take it totally seriously. I regarded it as, 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 as correct and literally true. And I will never forget the baffled look on the faces of my, uh, my uh, classmates in the, uh, in the Pilgrim Church um, teen, teen, uh, teen group. Uh, when I warned them of uh, brim, fire and brimstone if they did not change their lives and adhere uh, exactly to the prohibitions in the Bible. Uh, and I, I was really dominated by that spirit for almost a year until I went to uh, Stanford University where it was quickly 
uh, challenged, and um, I wound up going through a, a negation that led me on the long road to where I am today. Who, who challenged you? Um, well, Stanford University. I, as a matter of fact, in preparation for this program, Dan, I, uh, I picked up the, the history book, the world history book that we read as freshmen. Uh, huh. This was this was over fifty years ago. Wow! And um, it it was I, I just it, of all of the things I've I've prepared for this program, and I do a lot of prepare preparation for programs like this. I read things I haven't read before, so my mind's fresh, and I'm I'm pre I'm I'm a newly challenged. And I read it, and I could understand how I could how could you withstand a a, a historian very objectively and respectful of the virtues of Christianity, the virtues of uh, the Israelites and, and their religious practices, nevertheless examine it objectively, and, uh, anthropologically and, uh, and, and ideologically, and in a very systematic way pointing out how the notion of God in the Old Testament went through five different phases, all the way from the animism where God is in bushes and rocks, which was a very common um, belief among primitive tribes, and then moving into the notion that God is a person. If you'll recall, he's a person in, uh, in the story of, of, of Lot and his daughters, where God comes as a person and literally haggles with Abraham on how many... A righteous people have to exist in Sodom and Gomorrah so that God won't destroy the entire city, men, women, and children, uh, homosexuals, and everybody else, and uh, is, a, is, a, is a human figure and remains a human figure. And, uh, and then it moves on to a, to a different phase in which suddenly, um, and in that particular period, there was a respect for, not a respect, a contempt for other gods, but there was assumption that there were many gods and that Yahweh was the god of the Hebrews. Then you move into another stage. All of this is within the, the first four or five books of the Bible. Then you move into a different stage in which uh, uh, suddenly uh, God is the only God and the other, the other people are, are, are false, are representing a false god. And then you have the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity. I mean, this was just fascinating because I knew the Bible. I knew the Old Testament, but I had never seen it in this light. So there's, uh, there's no mystery in my mind about why I uh, uh, had to abandon my fundamentalism uh, after uh, being encountered with that kind of, not so much a challenge, but a different interpretation, a different approach than I'd had before. Because that's interesting because a lot of people, it's in college, for a lot of people, it's in universities where they become fundamentalists in some ways because there are a lot of uh, religious right groups operating on campuses. Yes, that's true. And a lot of that came from the ministries that came out of, uh, of, the, uh, of the 60s. It was, it was incredible because as the flower children wilted, um, Christian fundamentalists like Hal Lindsey, uh, were able to uh, to go from college to college and appeal to that idealism of the 60s at a time when people were becoming more and more disenchanted because, uh, if you'll recall, during the first five years of the 70s, Nixon was president, and it seemed like it was going to be impossible to end the war. I mean, everybody had thought that the war was going to be ended uh, in, in 1970 with the huge campus uh, outbursts over uh, Cambodia, which I was part of. Right. And, and as, the, um, you know, as that, that spirit began to decline, 
um, the, the the Christians came in and presented an alternative a viewpoint that was in its own way hopeful and in many ways positive, but uh, was certainly a different approach to the Bible um, or, or certainly evolved into a different approach to the Bible uh, in which uh, Jesus was no longer the Prince of Peace and the, and the friend of the poor, but was the, uh, the warrior who is going to return and destroy the world and who's a friend of the rich. You're not talking about the National Council of Churches. No, the National Council <laughs> of Churches is very much part of the of the social gospel movement that right. I that I respect. For sure. But we're talking about the dispensationalists who one by one picked off a number of the of the of the uh, uh, denominations that were traditionally independent from dispensationalism. I mean, you would not have found a person in the Assembly of God or a Southern Baptist in uh, 1965 who believed in the rapture what what do you mean dispensationalism dispensationalism is the is is another word for um uh christian zionism and it is the theology of of christian zionism and uh, it's uh, I, I i can't i go into it in not only in great detail but in in the novel but in a way right. that every i in, i cover it in so many different ways that you can't help but completely understand it by the time you're finished but essentially, it's an imposition on the Bible of a notion that there were seven dispensations which followed the same pattern. God insists that man does something, uh, not you know, not not eat of the forbidden fruit, not be wicked, um, not crucify Christ, and in every case, man, or in most cases, the Jewish people. It's very anti-Semitic. The Jewish people were given a commandment. They God knew they were going to screw up. They did screw up. And then they were punished by being expelled from the garden, by being uh, hit by a flood, or by being forever uh, uh, condemned because of the crucifixion of Christ. And the final dispensation, or the seventh dispensation, is the one in which God says, um, you, you, mankind is totally screwed up, I'm going to kill every one of you and turn the earth into a smoldering cinder. And uh, it's a very, very pessimistic uh, philosophy, which uh, unfortunately is uh, believed by perhaps as many as 25 million Americans in some form or another. What, what is the role of uh, people like, uh, is it the Wycliffe uh, Bible translators? Uh, what's it called? Uh, who it's go called around? the Schofield Bible. Dispensationalism, um, um, dispensationalists use the Schofield Bible, which I read in, in detail. Uh, I meant the uh, people that go around the world translating the Bible into uh, the Gideons. No, there's another group that um, that has been uh, like they go into uh, ethnic areas, uh, tribal areas, and translate into indigenous languages. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, and so there's uh, there's been critiques of that, uh, trying to accuse that of being in the in the you know leading the or following the dictates of imperialism. Yeah, well, the, the 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 one of the points in the novel, and again, it's made in in many humorous ways, is that um, the picking and picking chapters and not chapters, but isolated verses out of the Bible coming from a Bronze Age tribe, or in the case of Saint Paul, which is another reference, uh, another place where people find uh, a homophobia. I mean, you're dealing with a a a uh, 
sincere Christians in the case of St. Paul or sincere religious people in the case of the Old Testament living in a situation, in a, in a tribal situation or in a church situation, which is just not relevant to the present. Um, in, in, a classic example of this is the basis for the homophobia in the Bible, which is uh, not so much a, an ethical question, but a practical question about whether or not uh, men and women are going to have sex in order to, uh, continue, to, to continue to build the tribe or to continue the, the familial line, or in the case of the New Testament, in order to build the Christian community. And this was at a time when the population of the world was in, was in the millions. Um, it was a time not in the billions. It was a time when the, life, the, 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 the mort- infant mortality rate was one child in five w- w- survived. And um, the resources of the planet were certainly adequate for the population. Now, in, in, in my novel, uh, Jesus is someone who came back at, at a time in biblical history where he negated the essences of the, of, of the Old Testament value system, the classical one being an eye for an eye becomes turned the other cheek. He was a revolutionary. He said he accepted the law of the Israelites, but he obviously within that rebelled against it because the times had changed. The, uh, the, the, the Israel of the New Testament was not the same as people wandering around in the desert with sheep and treating their women as if they were chattel. And in my novel, he comes back and he adapts, he, he has a message that is appropriate to people today and is equally revolutionary because he says, look, it is it, when it comes to a question of abortion or homosexuality. It's a question. It's not a question of whether or not a tribe is going to survive or become extinct. It's a question in which, in my lifetime, Dan, in my lifetime, the population of the Earth has tripled, and thirty thousand kids die each day because there are not adequate resources, or because the, the distribution, international distribution, is such. So at this point. Uh, when Jesus comes back, he, he, he opposes abortion uh, because he says there's so many ways of avoiding it by not I- engaging in, in sex that will produce children because producing children in today's world per, well, uh, uh, threatens humanity in the same way that humanity was threatened by not having enough children in the time of the Old Testament. And so he completely negates it in the novel and says the most important thing today is to um, prevent the population from exploding so that all people can live uh, uh, comfortably uh, within the, uh, the kingdom of, 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 uh, of God. Oh, the reference I made to Wycliffe is the uh, Summer Institute of Linguistics, uh, which was founded by William Cameron Townsend, and there's a book called uh, Thy Will Be Done, which... Uh, argues that there's a close association between intelligence communities and this Bible translation group. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, the, um, we're actually coming to the end of our time. Are you optimistic um, that um, people will resist this kind of true believer kind of faith and think for themselves? Well, it, certainly the novel is extremely optimistic. That's what happens to these extremely healthy, extremely intelligent, 
uh, high school kids in Florida in 2000 at Shepherds Vale School. And they are full of optimism, and the Einstein sisters are full of optimism based upon uh, that, that particular tradition within the, the Jewish community before Zionism came in and, and, uh, and channeled that into a, a nationalism in, in, uh, in, instead of a universalism. And uh, I'm equally, I'm equally uh, optimistic. And you ask me why the book is so long, it's because that optimism just fed itself and demanded not only to be mouthed by the characters, but to express itself in this wonderful, life-affirming climax, which equals the, uh, the, the life affirmation of the uh, melting of the wicked witch in The Wizard of Oz. We've been talking with Irving Wesley um, Hall, who is the author of the Einstein Sisters' Bag the Flying Monkeys, a satirical look at Bush's uh, Zionist America. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, let me Irving. mention that people can find out about the book by going to the website www.notinkansas.us or they can Google Einstein Sisters Bag the Flying Monkeys. Right, for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Keep in touch. We will. So that was uh, Subversity here on KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.